At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app, ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher. Stolen Chris Sims' seat. My spot was taken. Uh, here with Drew Dinsick, uh, who continues his whirlwind tour around California. Now in San Jose, just in time to get the Eric Carlson T-shirts off the discount rack. Uh, <laughs> good to see you. Today we're going to talk about which teams can go from worst to first in their division in the NFC. Look at some division long shots and then... Uh, now that we've got a bit more of an NBA schedule, we'll talk uh, some early NBA lines uh, and just do a little refresh there. Uh, but let's get into worst to first in their division. So the history on this is that 18 of the past 20 seasons, at least one team has gone from worst to first to win its division uh, after finishing in last place the year prior. The Jacksonville Jaguars were the team that did it last year, uh, never in doubt for the Jags, uh, even when they got out to 51 or so, but they did it right at the death. So let's start off with the NFC North, uh, where the Bears, who uh, had the number one overall pick before trading it to Carolina, they finished last in their division. They're plus 400 to win the NFC North, Lions favorite, and then the Vikings are uh, uh, plus 280, and the Packers are plus 400 with the Bears. What's your level of optimism in the Bears winning the division? Yeah, I mean, I see the NFC North as a, a toss-up, really. Um, I think, uh, you know, the pricing of the Lions in the plus 130 range is awfully, awfully, awfully upside-y. Um, the Lions, you know, clearly have, you know, a, a star in of the future in the coaching circles, and Ben Johnson is the offensive coordinator. Um, and he got top six top seven level play out of Jared Goff last year. Uh, the problem I see is that to me is very clearly his ceiling. Uh, and the only you know possibility is that he underperforms what, you know, or at least, you know, regresses back to sort of the Jared Goff we understand uh, over the balance of this season. So the Lions, at least, you know, it, you know, a lot of things have to happen for you to go to worst or first. You need a little bit of luck. You need injury luck, certainly. And you need, uh, you know, whoever is presumed to be at the top to uh, regress for some reason. And the Lions are in that you know, kind of mold for me. Similarly, the Vikings and uh, Packers definitely have huge questions. Packers have the youngest uh, offense of any NFL team that I can remember handicapping going back 20 years. I don't think you can find a younger group of skill position players combined with a quarterback that has less of a resume uh, in terms of taking meaningful snaps at the NFL level. So that is a huge, huge uncertainty, and it could go poorly. We really can't say one way or the other. Uh, and uh, you know the Vikings have a you know a defense that to me at least on paper could clearly be in the bottom five in the NFL this season. Um, Bears made a ton of investments overall on their roster, particularly in free agency. I don't agree with what they decided to do entirely. I think going for two off-ball linebackers and allocating your resources that way instead of trying to you know take a swing uh, and bring in a uh, you know a more formidable pass rush piece than Yannick Ngakwe. Um, you know I think that's sort of what holds them back ultimately and from being you know this. This clear choice as a, a worst to first, um, but you know the 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 truth is 
the entire season revolves around getting um, NFL starter quality play out of uh, Justin Fields. Uh, and if that is what we ultimately see this season, then, you know, this is pretty clearly a team that, uh, you know, would fall into the category of consideration for worst to first. And uh, I know you're more of a Fields uh, bull than I am. I'm not a Fields bear. Uh, but I definitely worry that uh, what we've seen from him in terms of passing, while influenced by the fact that he's had no offensive line, while influenced by the fact that the skill position group was the worst in football last year, there were still opportunities for him to make some passes and you just didn't see it. So uh, it uh, he needs to grow personally in a way that Josh Allen did you know, between year two and year three for uh, for the Bears to succeed. And I mean, that's a realistic possibility. But uh, for me at four to one. Uh, it's a pass because I, you know, I just, I think I, I, I need to see it first. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I think with the bears, the good thing is that when you're looking at a team, you want, I think, I think you want your upside planted on offense generally, just because it's easier to fluke a m- middle of the road defense than it is to fluke a middle of the road uh, offense. And I think that with this offensive line, with fields, with, DJ Moore and Claypool and Mooney uh, and Khalil Herbert, uh, who is perennially underrated. I think that they have yeah, – it wouldn't shock me at all if the Bears are a top eight offensive fields hits kind of his, I don't know, 75th percentile outcome this season, which I think is, um, you know, it's plausible. Fields, he's got uh, immense talent and he does have more passing pedigree from college that hasn't surfaced in the pros as yet. Worry about the cornerbacks, worry about the edge rushes, and those aren't places you really want to worry about things. But I do think that the Bears certainly have the upside to win a pretty winnable division. Uh, To me, the most interesting thing in this division, or at least one of, is just what Brian Flores can do with that Vikings defense, where I just don't, I don't really understand why that defense was so bad last year because they do have talent on it and maybe it was just coaching and scheme and there's a lot of upside to come. And I know they've lost some guys, uh, namely uh, in particular Zadarius Smith, but I think that that offense is has a pretty high floor when you think about Cousins and Jefferson and Hawkinson and uh, an underrated defensive line that, that Christian Darrisaw anchors. And if they can just kind of, get that defense to 17th, 18th in the league, then all of a sudden I think you're looking at your division winner uh, and a team that could potentially be interesting in a in a relatively open NFC, at least open after your big top three teams. Um, I mean, what do you think about the Vikings, just their, their upside? I mean, I agree with your, your points entirely. Um, and I also don't really know why the defense was so bad last year. Uh, certainly, you know, in the high leverage games at the end of the season, notably the Giants game, um, you know, they will put on a clinic. <laughs> that was about the uh, you know the optimal game plan to walk in there and really challenge those guys. And uh, you know, if I was every if I'm any other NFC North opponent, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm regretting the idea that uh, uh, we didn't take more advantage of that squad while Donatel was there. And now Flores does obviously raise the floor potentially. Um, Skill, you know, the, the just in general, the aging, uh, you know, out with the old sort of mentality of uh, the way that they've handled that roster on the defense, I think is going to uh, make it tough for them to really take a step forward this year under Flores. This is more of a 2024 project, I think. Um, and so for that reason, I think the Vikings are going to need to consistently score 30 to get wins this season. But um, that's kind of the story with everyone in this division. Like these are, you know, the, this is a weird division where you have four of, uh, four of the bottom, you know, three of the clear bottom 10 defenses on paper, in my opinion, 
outside of the Packers. And the Packers is they've been perennial underachievers as well with all the talent they've invested there. So um, this is it's 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 extremely unusual to be looking at an NFC North that is all about offense. But that's where we are right now. Yep. Indeed. And the Vikings cornerback situation, their secondary situation in general is uh, is frightening. So, uh, yeah, I think that will limit their upside on defense at least. Let's go to the NFC South where, I mean, there's no real last place finisher <laughs> in this division last year because you had the Bucks winning the division uh, shamefully at eight and nine. And then you had three teams behind them at seven and ten. Saints are the favorite, effectively by default, at plus 130, and then the Falcons plus 210, Panthers plus 350, and the Bucks at plus 750, bringing up the rear. Uh, do you think that this separation in the market between the Saints and the Falcons is warranted, or do you think they should be more tightly bunched? Oh, I'm absolutely in the uh, in the mindset that there's no space between the Saints and the Falcons. And actually, there are many of the units on the Falcons that I grade uh, higher than the Saints coming into the season. Really, the quarterback is the only reason that you would say that the Saints should be favored in this division over the Falcons, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, so I don't mind at all swinging on Falcons to go worst to first. But like you said, it feels like it's cheating a little. <laughs> Uh, I, there are a ton of actually useful metrics that would tell you that the worst team in the a- NFC South last year was the Bucks, <laughs> and they yeah. won. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, now they move on from Tom Brady. There are, I, I, I you know, it's, it's a confounding um, you know roster to try to make sense of what is the vision here, what are we doing, what is the objective of this particular team. Uh, if I were in charge, I would be really, really shopping hard. Some of my veterans try to get back. Uh, you know, draft capital for next year and the years beyond because they need to go into true rebuild mode. Um, this is a team whose ceiling, I think, is six or seven wins. And uh, that does definitely open up the door for someone who uh, finished seven and 10. There was a three way tie for seven and 10 at the bottom of the NFC South last year. And I'm sure if you go back through time, there's, you know, there are other years where, uh, you know, this little wrinkle of, uh, of, uh, of trivia of worst to first was a situation like this where you had a pretty good team that was ready to pop and their schedule was easier than their opponents and you had you know the top was soft and and that's allowed for uh for someone to come through but uh yeah the bucks aren't repeating which means one of the seven and ten teams is winning and uh that will ultimately satisfy the uh, uh the criteria here but if you know we're i'm i'm an, i'm i'm only staked on falcons that's my horse that I'm, you know, starting the season with here in the NFC South. Uh, and for me, it's mostly because I see a defense that's mar- underrated by market. Uh, I see an offensive line that's going to give Desmond Ritter an opportunity to grow at the quarterback position. And I see a complimentary running game uh, that could be one of the best in the NFL and should be one of the best in the NFL, considering how much talent is in that backfield. So uh, Falcons for me all the way. And I think they can win games 20 to 17 uh, all throughout the season. Yeah, just Ritter. Ritter's a bit scary. Ritter did not. <laughs> Ritter did not look great at the end of last season. I get that he was thrown into the fire and and whatever. He's a rookie and now he has a full off season, knowing more or less that he's the guy. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm kind of starting to believe in the Saints a little bit, just because I think the defense will be good. Uh, they'll get a healthier season on average. You would expect out of Marshall and Lattimore. I don't love Paulson and Debo as the second cornerback, but that aside, I think it should be a pretty good defense. And then on offense, I just think Olave could emerge as one of the 
top 10, 12 wide receivers in the league. I think Michael Thomas, uh, who I understand Michael Thomas hasn't been fit since literally 2019, but he looked good. He looked good the first few games last year when he was healthy. He's only 30 years old. So I think there is some scope to get something out of Michael Thomas, a supporting guy. Uh, I've always enjoyed Shahid's work. Jawan Johnson, touchdown machine. I think Carr as well. Carr was really solid in 2020 and 21 and then had a down year last year. I don't know if that was potentially about the scheme. So I don't know. I just think with their schedule as well, their schedule is insane. And so is Atlanta's, to be fair. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if the Saints wind up as a two seed. They might not even be that good, but just by default. Uh, so I'm starting to believe in the Saints a little bit, uh, but we'll see. That organization is something of a mess, the way that the cap is managed. And, uh, and I mean, looking at the veterans that they're signing this late heading into the season, that's a red flag. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I somewhat believe in the Saints just because I believe in Carr a lot more than I believe in Desmond Ritter and Taylor sure. sure. I will only kind of point out that the offensive line in New Orleans is pretty fragile. You have a couple pieces that are super untested. Uh, you have a couple pieces that are perennially injured. Um, and uh, that's spooky. Uh, because Carr definitely has done his best work when he's been well projected. Um, I also, but you know, your points about the pass cat, you know, the wide receiver skill position room is very strong. Uh, didn't even mention Taysom Hill, who might be kind of a, a wild X factor, and especially in goal to go situations, short yardage situations, who knows? Um, so yeah, no, I, I mean, the offense should be fine. My problem with the Saints is more on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they're paying the piper in terms of some of their decisions and how they've allocated cap over the years, and it's cost them a lot of upcoming talent. They haven't been able to re-sign their own guys, and uh, for that reason, they have a handful of guys who are on the wrong side of the aging curve combined with a ton of question marks. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to have to develop, develop, develop that defense in order to be top 10 again this season. And yes, their schedule is easy, but uh, just on the basis of roster turnover for that uh, defense, I think uh, I have to downgrade the Saints at least to equal uh, at, with the Falcons, if not a hair behind them. Yeah, need Taysom Hill to go into his bag of tricks and learn how to play the left guard or backup cornerback because uh, that is where his services are needed on the Saints. All right, before we get to the NFC East, with the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. And go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code draft 2023 to save 20% at checkout. All right, NFC East. I think this is the easiest one to put a line through uh, worst to first, given the Washington Commanders finished last in the division last year at 8-8-1. Uh, eight, eight and one. Uh, Fittingly, they do seem like a franchise that is very befitting of a 500 record, which uh, you would think would disappear with the 17-game schedule, but uh, the gods aligned to give them that exact 500 record. Very fittingly, they are 10 to 1 to win the NFC East this time around. Eagles and Cowboys, your clear favorites, and then the Giants at plus 750. Uh, any upside for the Commanders to win the division? Uh, not for me. Uh, and we, I, we have, this is not the easiest one. 
the easiest one is coming up <laughs> but uh, yeah <laughs> but the, uh, uh, this is the yeah. second this is the second easiest for sure uh, I think the commanders are uh, relatively unlikely uh, to win the NFC East and it's not just because of the quarterback situation um, you know there's really questions and issues and you know lots of different parts of this roster um, you know an untested an inexperienced quarterback combined with uh, you know a new offensive scheme that we just we're, we're not 100% sure how they fit combined with an offensive line that I have is bottom five combined with, uh, you know, a a little bit of a dicey coach on the hot seat situation, which is never good. Um, I would need something in the ballpark of 40 to one to back the commanders to win the NFC East. That's about where my number is for real. Um, and you know, the, the strength of the team is pretty clearly their defensive line, but there's plenty of teams that had just, you know, all-star defensive lines that, you know, congratulations, you can put away a lead. When are you ever going to have one? I mean, you're going to have one week one when you play the Cardinals. I like the Commanders week one. I haven't laid the six points yet, but I probably will. Um, And I think uh, ultimately, you know, when you're going up against teams with weak offensive lines and you're going up against teams that can't really generate much pressure, yeah, you're going to be able to get, uh, you know, a a one, maybe two score lead and put it away on the strength of your defense. But, um, you know, there's a lot of still a lot of inexperience in the secondary for this group. Uh, Jack Del Rio's scheme is fine, but it's not as innovative as a lot of the other defensive coordinators that are out there. So I think realistically expecting the commanders to get more than um, eight wins this season is asking a lot of them. That's you know, that's clearly their ceiling in my mind. Uh, and, you know, eight wins is not going to win this division just because there's no amount of injuries and, and issues that you can, you know, craft for the top three teams to open the door for these guys. So um, there is a world where something insane happens and you have perfect sym- synergy between Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, and this team wins eight or nine games and that's enough to get them a wild card. Um, but I don't think any realistic outcome gets them into uh, the, the number one uh, number one spot for this very, very tough NFC East. Yeah, I think there are other divisions where the commanders could potentially uh, Sam Howe really hits and the defense is a top six, seven unit and McLaurin and Dotson and the offensive line is better than you expect. But in this division, I mean, I think they're going to be hard pressed to, to be better than the New York Giants, let alone the Eagles and the Cowboys. It's just too stacked. Uh, So I think we can move on to the NFC West where uh, the Arizona Cardinals finished last, last year at 4-13. and So let's construct a world where the Arizona Cardinals win the NFC West this year because it's not like 5,000 to 1. Might not be far off, but what would need to happen for the Cardinals to win the division this year? Well, uh, there's plenty of rea- – I'll, I'll give you plenty of space for the Cardinals to finish ahead of the Rams. Sure. I, think that, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy really. Uh, that's one time down. <laughs> uh, Geno Smith has to get hurt in week one, and it has to be Drew Locke for the duration of the season in Seattle. Um, and the Niners have to be down to QB5, I think. Uh, for that offense to not be able to score enough to keep ahead, you know, to stay ahead of the Cardinals, like I, I, uh, I do an exercise where I just come up with a line for every game, given the current, you know, this, the the week one rosters. Biggest line I have all season is uh, Cardinals at the Niners. Uh, I think that is the biggest separation you have between two teams in the NFL, and the fact that they are in the same division and play each other twice is uh, is going to create some pretty uh, pretty lopsided markets in those two games. Um, and I think uh, ultimately this uh, this Cardinal squad, they're not really even served winning, right? This is a, this is they they are acknowledging very clearly where they are right now. They're trading away, uh, you know, they're they're you know they're trading 
that, you know, they traded away assets, particularly at the top of last year's draft in order to stockpile for the 2024 draft, which is, I think, extremely rational way to approach this team and the, you know, these roster issues. Um, some of the decisions made by the outgoing uh, regime in terms of drafting are starting to look at, like what in the world was going on there. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that Kyler Murray is getting paid what he's getting paid, like, you know, if, if he comes back and if he is healthy for, you know, the middle couple of months of this season, I think realistically you're only playing him in order to showcase him to try to trade him. Um, and I don't, I don't have any intel that says that's ultimately what they intend to do. They went out of their way to go see Kyler Murray at his, uh, you know, college Hall of Fame induction, whatever happened over the summer, and to try to mend those fences. And they apparently made a draft pick that, uh, you know, was a guy that he had read, you know, he, he had uh, rubber stamped as, uh, you know, a piece that he wanted on the offensive line. Um, so maybe they ultimately intend to build around Kyler Murray going forward, but uh, they're going to have enough high picks in next year's draft to really make some, uh, some you know, pivotal decisions about the future of the franchise. And I think, um, you know, this season you're trying to just get uh, playing time for some of the younger pieces on this roster so that when you are uh, at, you know, ready to actually make your move uh, in the course of your rebuild, uh, you have guys with uh, play, you know, with actual NFL experience. Yes. Uh, and I don't know about QB five, but QB four as well, you're looking at Phil Rivers. Uh, and so I think he might be a better Phil Rivers off the couch might be better than what the Cardinals are rolling out week one and two. I mean, I think the Niners could lose their top two quarterbacks, their number one wide receiver, their three best defensive players, and they're probably still better than the Cardinals, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. I Kyle Amari comes back, get a little bit of upside, but it's just very hard to construct a way where they would uh, ever win the division. It would have to be uh, a Bucks nfc South situation last year where eight and nine takes it, I think, uh, or nine and eight, that kind of range. It's... It's just hard to see how things go so direly wrong for San Francisco that they could possibly be worse than Arizona. I think there are worlds within somewhat the realm of possibility where Arizona could finish ahead of Seattle just because Geno Smith just might not be that good. Uh, And so I could potentially buy that even though it's a decent long shot. But the idea of them going past San Francisco uh, is one that uh, it's very, very hard to conceive of. All right. Uh, so, well, in terms of most likely to go worse, the first thing we're aligned, the Falcons are the most likely team to do it in the NFC just by uh, technicality that they did finish last uh, by tiebreaker in their division. And then I think the Bears are the other team and then no faith whatsoever in the Commanders or the Cardinals. All right, before we get to some basketball, a reminder, MLB Sunday leadoff heads to Texas, where the Seattle Mariners take on last year's World Series champions, the Houston Astros. Watch these two teams not only battle for position in the AL West, but for the postseason as well. Catch the action live this Sunday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. 
This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. All right, NBA opening night. Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors. Lakers, uh, four-and-a-half-point dogs at Denver, which is around where those playoff games were closing in the Western Conference Finals. The Warriors are one-and-a-half-point favorites over the Suns, so somewhat intuitively that would tell you that the market, at least at this early stage, rates the Suns as a little bit better on neutral than the Warriors. Uh, does anything jump out about either of these game lines or the totals, which are 227-and-a-half in Denver and 231-and-a-half in Golden State? Yeah, the totals look low to me. Um, need to see a little bit more information about uh, you know what kind of rules are going to be emphasized this year before I play a total in the NBA. But uh, I would have thought both of those would have been closer to two thirty. I mean, let's see, two thirty for the uh, Lakers game certainly, and then closer to two thirty four for the uh, Warriors is where I would have guessed that number would have opened. Um, I think the sides opened right about correctly. Um, the at least the relative uh, ratings that I have on these teams heading into the season do have the Suns as uh, slightly better than the Warriors, and I have uh, about uh, two and a half uh, points difference between the Nuggets and the Lakers. The uh, the thing that may, maybe makes you know that interests me is about the uh, the Nuggets uh, potentially just being not, even beside it being banner night. I think the idea that the Lakers coming in um, in regular season mode is important to think through. Uh, the last time the Lakers looked especially sharp in November was pre LBJ era. I mean, this team tends to build into their final form uh, and they are peaking. They're trying to peak in April, not, uh, not, not November at all. Uh, And so if the uh, Lakers get completely run out of the gym in that opening night contest, it's not going to surprise me whatsoever. So uh, if I had to make one bet this moment, I'm laying the the points with the nuggets. And I think that probably closes in the five and a half range, even though the relative, pricing i think is correct on the open about the uh, the difference between those teams um and i'm gonna flirt with a lot of other potential nba champions this year i think um but uh considering the moves in free agency and you know how you know, how we're starting the season um it surely does feel like uh this is a nuggets opportunity to get banner number two uh, interesting yeah i'm a bit lower on the nuggets uh certainly for the regular season I don't. I think their win total is is just too high. Uh, right now, it's fifty four and a half, which seems a few wins too high. Last year, they were fifty three and twenty nine with pretty much perfect health. I know Murray was coming off the ACL and start the season that well, but I mean they didn't lose any of their guys for sustained periods of time. Um, just by their point differential, they were a forty nine win team last year and the fact that they lose bruce brown and now i mean now you're really depending uh on guys like peyton watson and christian brown uh to be to be good and useful straight away and for the regular season as well i mean this team showed the last six weeks of the season that they're perfectly willing to check out if they need to Jokic uh can go into uh you know his rim protection in that famous spurs game where He's a player where if his effort isn't there on defense, it looks comically bad. Uh, and I just think that coming off the title after everything that that meant and now just having a lot less depth, 
I don't I don't think this team is is any sort of lock to get to to 50 51 wins uh, let alone the 55 that you'd need to clear this win total so that's a, that's my favorite win total on the board is the nuggets under I still think that they are thereabouts the best team in the West I just irrespective of odds I would take the suns head to head against the nuggets I just think that just with their depth, uh, I just think they have enough lottery tickets between guys like Okogi and Wontanabe and uh, Eric Gordon um, and Kata Bates-Geop. I think there's enough guys there who can hit to give them, in addition to obviously Durant, Beal, Booker and Aiton, to find three more guys to complement um, that group. Also, don't think Aiton is... Uh, is done, which he was playing like he was at the end of last season. I just think between uh, just the new context, between Monty Williams not being there anymore, that he can get back to being, you know, the max level of player that he was pretty much accepted as coming off the finals uh, against the Bucks and that run. Uh, I also think Beal is somewhat underrated now because he's just so lambasted because of the contract. Like Bradley Beal is a very good top 30 player in the NBA, I think. Uh, And so, yeah, I, I think the Suns, as well, the idea that, you know, it's not a perfect fit and these skill sets are somewhat reductive. I just think the fact that they can all shoot just renders that less important. And yeah, maybe the passing isn't as good as you would like it, but the goal of offense is not to pass the ball well, it's just to score and passing is a mechanism that helps you get there. But if you have isolation scorers, you get you to the same result, then I'm not sure it really matters that much. So I think the Suns are loaded uh, and I wouldn't be super interested in getting involved at their current price. Uh, but I would take them head-to-head over the Nuggets. But uh, what do you make of the, the outright market in the West? So I'm obviously not all the way there with my um, preseason work here for the NBA. So I have a lot to do still to get, uh, you know, fairs heading into this season. But I'm not really interested in playing Nuggets season win total under because they still have the one thing that you can't, you know, health – Take you can't take you can't take away the fact that uh, they play at altitude, <laughs> and particularly to start this season uh, when you have a you know squad like the Lakers who has some older players maybe not in game shape yet heading up to altitude. You know I, I think that the Nuggets are going to have enough of an advantage early in the season here to get out to uh, a realistic, reasonable lead in the West, and that price is going to get shorter now. Um, do they go into you know kind of a, the doldrums of February and March and look lost? entirely possible that happened last year and this team was very hungry for a championship so uh you know i i I think that's probably when you would start to see some price action where the suns start to come in maybe the warriors come in maybe the grizzlies come in uh maybe the lakers come in i mean it's it's going to be a a pretty fun western conference again this year um and you know i don't i don't have like warning signs flashing that uh you know age is all of a sudden going to come for kevin durant or that the fit isn't going to work in phoenix but um, I just, I, I, I uh, am <laughs> scarred by how easy Denver made it look against Phoenix in the playoffs last year. Uh, and I know it's not the same teams, but, um, you know, I don't exactly know how you solve Jokic in, in a playoff setting if you're, if you're the Suns. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing is like that Suns thing was just so decimated by the end. And I know that Booker had to go superhuman, but they did score against Denver, it's just they couldn't stop them or come close to stopping them. But they're obviously missing Chris Paul. Uh, I think, I mean, you're basically replacing, in terms of that series, you're replacing like campaign with Bradley Beal. 
uh, and then you're you know you're bringing in I think guys who can guys like Kata Bates Geop who all the advanced stats love uh, and is very highly rated. Uh, and then guys like Eric Gordon is going to be more useful than other players they were bringing in. So I think the Suns are pretty solid. In terms of just the West, the only bet that I would make at current prices in the market to actually to win the West would be the Grizzlies at 14 to 1. I don't understand why people don't, don't respect the Grizzlies. All they've done the past two years, everything has gone wrong the past two years for the Grizzlies. Morant missed, what, 26 games two years ago and they got the two seed. Last year, he obviously missed time as well, Desmond Bain was out for, what, four, six weeks. He was thrown and he wasn't right when yep, he came yep, back. Yep, yep, yep. They still managed to get the two seed. Uh, they're, they're young. And guys like Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain and Ja Morant all have scope to get better. Uh, they add Marcus Smart, which helps. They've lost a little bit of depth. Uh, and Stephen Adams, his situation with his knee is a little bit concerning. But like to me, there's just no way that the Grizzlies should be a longer price than the Mavericks to win the West. Yeah, I'm not that's... Sure Truly insane. I'm That's not sure insane. they could even be a longer price than the Warriors to win the West. No, or no. that much longer than teams like the Lakers. I would say that the Grizzlies should be shorter than the Clippers as well. Yes. Right now, the Grizzlies are the seventh favorite to win the West. To me, that's crazy. I think they should be the third favorite, at least right there with the Lakers for third. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're the team that I'd be most interested in. Uh, and then, I mean, we've spoken about it a lot. But in terms of winning the title, where... Uh, the Grizzlies are 25 to 1 there. That's no good. You want to bet them to win the West at 14 to 1 instead. Uh, and in terms of the title, we've spoken about it, but the Celtics are plus 500. Even with the Chris Stapp stuff, the East is so decimated now that Harden, with the Harden situation, I don't see how the Sixers are going to be better than last year. And they were already very flawed uh, and came in as a massive underdog to beat Boston albeit with the Embiid caveat of his health. The East is just, unless Lillard gets to Miami, and even then I think the Heat are worse than the Celtics because they've got no depth whatsoever. Uh, outside of Celtics and Bucks, there's just nothing there. I mean, the Cavs, I just don't think the Cavs have the upside unless Mobley turns into a top 10 player in the NBA. Then it's you're looking at teams like the Knicks and the Hawks. And I just think the path is going to be so easy to the finals for Boston uh, that they are the best bet in the outright. But does anyone... Tickle fancy uh, in the well, champion market. I mean, there is one impediment for the Boston Celtics, and that they, they can't beat the Magic, and the Magic are going to be in the playoff mix this year, Jay. So oh, you know, they, they they better figure out how to solve the Magic because uh, that is a uh, that's the standing between the Celtics and the yeah. finals finals yeah. appearance. Does feel like a six-game round one series, Boston, uh, Orlando, uh, as I (laughs) sweat through all my Boston tickets, just thinking, is there any way that uh, Franz Wagner could end this very quickly for me? Yeah, Uh, no, all your points were fair. I'm excited to talk about basketball. I can't wait for the season. I really like the two games they picked for opening night. When I saw that come across the news, I was like immediately fired up. Um, And I thought your breakdown was totally fair. Uh, it feels like the market is pricing Clippers like James Harden's already there. feels like the market's pricing the Heat like Dame Lillard's already there. Maybe they will be before we actually get, get to the start of the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a couple of prices that have my head. I'm, I'm scratching my head just what, you know, considering the work I've done so far. Yeah, I think the Clippers, I, I think I'm going to be higher than most on the Clippers if they get Harden because so many people are going to be fading the health situation there, just thinking Harden after his past year and 
how nicked up he's been uh, at, in both playoffs, really. And then Paul George, obviously, gets these freak injuries every year. And then Kawhi, the biggest question of all of them. Uh, and I would say that, like, I'm not sure the Lakers are that much of a bet to be healthier than the Clippers come playoff time, given what LeBron and AD uh, have been through. And LeBron's a lot older than all the Clippers guys. But uh, anyway, we can talk about the Clippers uh, if they make that move. For now, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Please rate and subscribe if you're listening to us in podcast form. And a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. I'm Jake Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll see you next week.